Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. Yep, it's a Tuesday, Nova Home Loan Studios, the spot as we get ready for the NFL draft on Thursday. We got four hours on the way. Our buddy from Nova Home Loans, Dustin DeHart, gonna join us in about 90 minutes. We got Q Myers later this hour, Raiders expert, locked on Raiders podcast, and we'll see if he has come any closer to honing in on the Raiders pick at number 17. Uh, but we come out trending at two with John Von Tobel and Angel here at the Nova Home Loan Studio. And Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. This is the best time. This is the best time because there have been, for the NFL draft coverage, there have been smoke screens all over the place for the last couple of weeks. But this is where, like, we all get smoked out because media people are being fed so much here. And any chance to, you know, grab a headline, throw something out that gets everyone all fired up. In a couple of minutes, we'll get to what Big Roos was saying. Diana Rossini is like four foot 11, but a big yeah, presence, right? Big Everyone's big. Uh, there's lots of ways to be big. Um, she was talking about the Patriots moving up. Okay. I don't buy it. Um, and now there's the Jimmy G talk. So we've got some NFL insiders saying Dunzo gone from the Niners before the draft. What's the, what's the greatest thing you've seen so far? The, the one that got you to chuckle the most with all these smoke screens out there from teams via media people. So I was, I was looking, I was just perusing Twitter and I saw Benjamin Albright out in Colorado, uh, who does a lot of work in the NFL is, uh, Pretty good around the draft this time, you know. Well, you like him too because he, now he's getting into betting. Well, but, but he's one of those he's one of those guys who's into betting. I think you believe that he's sending stuff out where it's like there's a chance, and then when it hits at a big number, I got it. Well, like there's a chance ain't actually putting the money down. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's a fascinating conversation in and of itself, right? You know, whether it's Benjamin Albright, uh, Michael Lombardi, who works for our sports betting network, right over at Vsin, uh, who are connected. And can bet in these markets. Now, Lombardi himself has said that he doesn't wager. Uh, Albright has said himself that he does wager. But what, what made me laugh, because I, I guess we can talk about that another because that's another topic. But it was Albright uh, whose tweet popped up because somebody had asked him, did you see Yastrzemski's report? Uh, I know you you love John Yastrzemski out of uh, New York, sports betting insider. And apparently he has tweeted and reported that he has a source who is never wrong that says it's Justin Fields at number three. <laughs> I just I just love it because I could right now just tweet out I'm here and it's pits at number four. And like, who are you to refute it? What are you gonna do? You gonna challenge me? Right. Like, how would you know at all? I just I love the and nature then, and of then just throwing stuff out there to see if it's night of the draft, three and four goes by and it's no pitch, you're like, mm, delete. Yeah. Right. Or but hey. but if you're right. Right. Oh I'm an insider. I had it. And I had it. We have these conversations all the time with any news story, right? Yeah. They're more than likely, they are hearing something, yeah. but it's where they're hearing it from. It could be anybody in the San Francisco 49ers building. It could be the janitor. Mm -hmm. And you could theoretically say somebody in the 49ers building is telling me it's Mac Jones. So, like I said, the topic about Albright, right, and betting on this stuff while reporting it, I think is a very fascinating and deep topic to discuss. But I just find it really funny that – we just see so much getting thrown out there, and wh whether or not it's going to stick, it's hilarious. So Patriots are always a great team to talk about. Uh, it's funny, though. It's always talk about taking a glamour position. They rarely do it. They took Nikhil Harry a couple years ago, but they've never really taken a quarterback early, right? They got Jimmy G. They got Brissett years back. Uh, 
they don't really trade up. And again, now there's talk about, hey, they need a quarterback. Maybe they're going to trade up. Uh, now it could involve one of the players on the roster. Something to keep in mind, and it's a small little storyline to keep an eye on, Stephon Gilmore is in his final year of his five-year contract with the New England Patriots. He's making about $7 million this season. The New England Patriots could perhaps deal Stephon Gilmore on draft night as part of a package to move up if they are in the business of getting a quarterback. I did speak to a team in the top 10 who told me that they have had calls with New England. Okay. Maybe Gilmore is part of that deal. Uh, I don't think it's it's crazy to think. Like, normal thinking is Belichick is old. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, you got to get a quarterback. Cam Newton ain't the guy, and if you're going to have another five years here in your 70s, you got to get the guy, but he just doesn't do that. Right. It so, would go- but, but I, you know what? I do believe her that she has a source somewhere saying that, hey, the Pats have at least called. And, of course, they, they should be calling because if you don't call, then you don't. there might be some moron in the top ten who's, you know, who will give away their pick. Shouldn't, but it could happen. Right. And, like, just think about that report in general, like what she was actually saying. Yeah, of course they called. I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay probably called. Um, who's number one? Jacksonville, right? <laughs> right I had a brain fart right there. Yeah, I'm sure they've talked, right? But it's just the legitimacy of that actually happening. And, like, I've, I've contested, like, to move into the top 10, that's not, yeah, okay, from what are the Patriots right now? 15. 15 to 10? Okay, that's five spots. It's not that much. Like, it's always the wording of these reports that always gets me. Like, yeah, sure, it potentially could have happened. The probability that it's going to happen, probably not that high. Yeah, I also think so much of the bluster develops around the quarterbacks because we've just been pounding the quarterback talk, and I still have a feeling that we're going to be surprised by one or two of the guys in the top five that they fall a lot further than we ever imagined. But yeah. we, what we're imagining is based on the last month of talk, which, you know, if you could, you would take all five guys in the top five. Well, have you seen the, the, the new pushback now is, um, oh, my God, I can't believe you're all falling for Kyle Shanahan's thing right now. It's totally Justin Fields. So, like, like I know. It's, it's, it's incredible. I know. I know. And now the, the latest report from CBS Sports says that uh, Jimmy G will be gone before the draft or during the draft. So everyone's jumping to the conclusion that, well, then it can't be Trey Lance. Which is interesting because all we've heard for a couple of months is, hey, is this guy ready to walk right into the NFL? He needs a redshirt year. Maybe there's an organization out there that's like, he's ready. I don't agree with the uh, you know 27 of the other organizations that think he's not ready. For all we know, Lil Shanny and John Lynch might think he, you know, not only is he the upside guy, but he's the now guy. So uh-huh. Jimmy G going bye-bye doesn't necessarily mean, because I think what people are jumping to is, well, then it's got to be Mac Jones. An offense that's run heavy that maximizes the ability of the quarterback? That'd probably be a pretty good system to get a Trey Lance into, right? And just let him grow as the season goes on. Sounds kind of familiar. I love this. I actually heard a an update uh, in the last two hours that uh, I guess Herb had said they've zoned in on these three quarterbacks at the number one pick. Oh, Herb, <laughs> Urban Meyer. Herb I'm Dean? like, I'm like, come on. We're down. We're down to these three. Right. Okay. You're down to one. Well, there is. There's people who are trying to say like. He recruited Justin Fields. Now, I would love. I, what I'm really hoping for is, and I have money on Fields to go number three. I hope your team, like that's one of the more incredible things that I have, like throughout this entire thing, is yep. how Zach Wilson, who played nobody in college last year, just leapfrogs Justin Fields over Mac Jones, and we're just like, now nah, we're good. It's it's the Jets. He's going number two. Like that's always been incredible to me that we've just locked this in because again, anybody you talk to with analysis of the actual quarterbacks, 
Fields is like the second best quarterback, but it's like, no, it's Wilson. Raiders are up at 17. We're going to break down the pick. Uh, we've got odds uh, from a couple of different houses. We'll run those by Q Myers. He's our Raiders insider. He's on the way. Of course, he does the Locked On Raiders podcast and a big part of the mix over on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Chopping it up on a Tuesday. It's Cofield and Company at the Nova Home Loan Studio. It's a Tuesday. Draft week is here just a couple days away from finding out what the Raiders do with pick number 17. And our guy on the Raiders every week is Q Myers. Locked on Raiders podcast. Big part of the family on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. So uh, you feel like you're any closer to knowing what the Raiders are going to do? No, not at all. I mean, really, it's so funny. I I wish. I'm excited, though. I'm excited because we can stop talking about what we think they're going to do, what they should do, and just talk about what they did do and then see how that fits into the fold with the team moving forward but man I'm like I'm kind of sitting on on the edge of my seat in anticipation I don't know if they're going to go safe like I mentioned with the offensive tackle a couple weeks ago are they going to go that direction are they going to go with the big time defensive playmaker and it's so funny I've talked myself into about three different or four different picks that I can really see as legit people players that the Raiders go and get and I just still don't have any idea which direction they're actually going to go and then come draft night it'll probably end up being a pick and I say yeah, I wasn't thinking about that guy, but okay, here we go. Because that's just what they do. Yeah, why is that? Why do they do that? Uh, why are the Raiders so unpredictable? Our guy Adam Hill wrote in the local paper about the unpredictability of the Raiders over the years that they generally will shock people. Yeah, they really will. And it's funny because, I mean, with Gruden, it's just like it's, it's Gruden and he's that guy and he's going to find a guy and he thinks that, you know, hey, he's, he's on to something that nobody else is, is on to. And, you know, he also tries to kind of go in the Al Davis mold of going and getting, you know, a guy that may come from a smaller school, but he's going to be that really good player. Maybe a guy who's rated a little low, but he's actually better than everyone's thinking. And I mean, he does that a lot. But with Mayock, what I've seen the last couple of drafts with Mayock and we've of course we all know that the end it's the end all be all with Gruden but I just kind of feel like with Mayock been in the fold and what he says especially after the draft he always talks about you know this is our guy and and this is what he had said about Damon Arnett was the fact that that was our guy Uh, we tried to trade back a little bit uh, you know but we felt like he wouldn't be there on the board next time we pick so that's why we went and got him but he was our guy he was a guy that we liked so much so what we're going to do is go and stick to the guys that we like and the guys that we think are going to fit with the team and then move forward, you know, and and not worry about, well, this guy is probably being drafted too high and this guy's maybe a little bit of a reach, but he's still the player that the team wants. So I always kind of felt like Mayock is just, hey, screw your board, screw what you guys are talking about. We're going to go get the players that we like. And so that, that's I feel like that that's why it's so unpredictable because you just don't know what they really, really like. Q Myers, Lockdown Raiders podcast as we get ready for the draft. On Thursday, right here on Cofield and Company. So the Westgate's having some fun with this. The uh, Superbook in town has the favorite split between eight guys. Uh, the Raiders' favorites, all wow. at twelve to one, are Vera Tucker, Darashaw, Jenkins, Usu Koromoa, uh, Barmore, Quiddy Payne, um, Parsons. Any of those guys? All of those guys uh, in the running, or is there going to be someone who comes from the outside? And you know, twenty to one. Is it going to be 
you know, an Asante Samuel Jr.? Could it be a Jalen Phillips? I mean, uh, this is pretty crazy. I love what they've done here, making just about everyone who could be selected at 17, 12 to 1. Yeah, you know, the thing about it, a lot of those guys that you named off are all possibilities. I think those guys, I think you could throw in Trayvon Merrick as well from TCU. I think he could be a guy that you uh, think about at 17, even though some will say that's a little bit high for him. But in my opinion, he's the best safety in the draft. And of course, safety is an area of need for the Raiders. Um, the one guy that you mentioned that I would be upset if they made the move on is, is Barmore from Alabama, and I like him, but he's not a he's not a first round guy in my opinion. And the only reason he's gonna probably get selected in the first round is because the defensive tackle classes is really thin. But I don't think that that's the reason why you just elevate him to number seventeen. You know, he's a good player. I don't think he's an elite player. I think he's a guy that you might go get at number forty eight overall, maybe in the second round, and and then and feel pretty good about yourself and feel like he has room to grow. But I couldn't see them going and getting Barmore in the first round. But, I mean, of course, you, you just never know. Defensive tackle, you would think that they go and get a, a stud defensive tackle or they're going to try to get a stud defensive tackle. But, again, like I said, this class is really, really thin. Uh, but Darisaw, that was a guy I picked at, at 17. Parsons is a guy I've convinced myself could be there at 17 and I would roll with if, if he's there. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, I like him a lot. He could be. He can absolutely be a player at 17. There's a lot of different – Vera Tucker, the offensive tackle out of USC, there's a lot of different guys that could be in play and the, I think the bigger reason why there's so many so many players on this list is because the Raiders have so many holes that they need to fill so yeah. there's so many different directions that they can go yeah Barmore is tied for second choice at uh, eight to one over at the circus so a lot of people have him uh, in consideration for the Raiders which I mean I guess there is still holes on the defensive line even though they've shorted up with a bunch of new players they got rid of two players uh, a couple weeks ago in uh, Arden Key and Hurst and now both have signed with the Niners. What's your reaction to that, especially with Hurst? Well, Hurst is – he's a fan favorite, man. It's so funny how many fans got mad at me when I, I said uh, before he got released, I thought that he was going to be released. I, I thought him and Arden Key were on their way out. They've had three years of these guys, and I know they haven't had three years of these guys with Gus Bradley, but I think that they kind of know who these players are. Uh, I think Hurst would have been a better player if he was used more, if he was available more, if he was on the field more. But for some reason, he wasn't. So I don't know if that was his doing or the coaching staff's doing. I just kind of think that they know who they have in those guys and that they weren't going to cut it moving forward. I think Gus Bradley looked at the film of all these guys and said, hey, these two guys probably aren't going to cut it. I don't think that we're going to really be able to move forward with them. Rod Marinelli probably doubled down since he's a defensive line coach and said the same thing. And they let him go. And the one thing about it, a lot of Raider fans told me, well, why don't you just take them to camp and let them compete? Well, why don't you just let them go if, if you don't feel like they're going to be on your team and let them go have an opportunity to get a job? And so I think that one of the things, the ways you could look at it is they actually did these guys a solid by giving them opportunity to go get a job before the draft, and then it's up to them to keep their job following the draft. I'm not saying these guys are available. Well, one could be, uh, but Jamar Chase won't be available. Michael Parsons could be. What do you think about what Mike Mayock said about uh, opt-outs? He really took up for him because I think there's a lot of people around the league who look at the opt-outs and kind of cross them off or at least knock them down a notch because they look at them as selfish or not team-oriented. And Mayock said, hey, it was a weird season. Uh, you can't just you know wipe them off the board. There were weird deals in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten where they, you know, they weren't going to play, then they had delayed starts and uh, decisions back and forth. So what do you think about the opt-outs? Do you just look at them and go, you know what, they don't care about football as much as the other guys? No, I don't I don't look at it like that. I look at it as last year was a year that nobody could understand. And I think that especially the NFL, they just kind of rolled with everything as it as it came. You know, what I mean, like that you saw kind of the not the rules changing throughout the course of the season, but you saw things change. You know, uh, guidelines change a little bit through the course of the season. Uh, college football was a mess. You know, if it looked like for the longest that nobody was going to be playing. Then the SEC and the big. 
12 of all team of all conferences because the Big 12 never leads anything. They don't they don't lead the charge in anything. They're like, no, we're playing football. We're definitely playing. And so they were kind of the leaders with the SEC. And and like you mentioned, man, the Pac-12, the Big 10, you know, they didn't even look like they were going to play. And, and a lot of the, the the players in those conferences were really leading the charge to get things going. Justin Fields, you know, he was one of the guys that that was getting the, the ball rolling with making sure that someone that they were able to play. And so uh, I don't look at the guys that opted out. I don't look at it as, as a bad thing. Um, I think that if those guys were good enough, like a Parsons is, to opt out and still be a top 10, top 15, top 20 pick in the in the first round of the NFL draft, then he was very confident what he already had on, on film. And, I mean, it's nothing more than just like the guys that opt out of the bowl games, except for they opted out of a COVID year where – Nobody knew how many games were going to get played if they were going to get played. So I'm not mad at them. If they could play, they could play. I just want to see them get to camp and and have a dedication to going and getting after it uh, this year and, and being a, a big time playmaker. And I think Parsons in particular could be a real big time playmaker. And honestly, I've I know he's got some character character concerns, and, and I, I wonder if the Raiders have a strong enough locker room to be able to handle that. He, he, to me, is one of the guys that has the biggest boom or bust, not for the league, but for the Raiders. I mean, he could be an outstanding difference maker, big time playmaker. Or you could look at him later and be like, well, you saw the red flags. You knew he had character issues. Why'd you go get him? Now here you go with egg on your face. So it's one of those you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But man, he would be tempting to take if he's there at 17. No doubt. Uh, Pro Football Focus has a list of dream scenarios for each team in the first round. We're talking to Q Myers, talking about the Raiders draft coming up. And Parsons is the guy. They have Parsons at 17. That's the dream scenario, that he would slip down to 17. It would be a hell of a get. Uh, but I do wonder if the Raiders are a little bit spooked, a little bit scared off of what happened a year ago. And it was later in the draft with, with uh, Lynn Bowden, where they wind up you know, getting out from under Bowden in about two months, which I think is a total disaster. I think it's been underplayed in the market. Um, you know, Yesterday on the show, we were reviewing some of the guys who went right after uh, the Raiders selected Edwards and Bowden in the third round. There were some really good players. I mean, the Chiefs got uh, Legarius Sneed uh, shortly after, about you know, 50 picks after um, Bowden went. Like, you just can't, you can't have that happen. And you certainly, as you just said, you can't take Micah Parsons at 17, even in a dream scenario, and then have the whole thing blow up in your freaking face. I mean, that is debilitating to a franchise. It really is, you know, and that Lyndon Bone Jr., I, I think you're right. I don't think enough people are talking about it. I know I kind of hammered it home a few times on the podcast, and I even had fans calling me like, hey, man, you know, he, he wasn't a fit, so they got rid of him. I was like, yeah, that's fine, but Mike Mayock himself said – Third-round picks are like stealing. If you exactly. have multiple third-round picks, it's like stealing, and you're getting starters. Not only did you not get a starter, you didn't even get a teammate. You got a guy that you traded away before he ever touched down on the field. I mean, that's that's a complete whiff. You completely missed out on that. And then at the back end of round three, you had Tanner Muse that never stepped on the field either. He was on IR all year. So out of three picks in the third round, one guy hit the field at a minimum amount of playing time. To me, that's a fail. Even if it's only one season in, you have you failed with those third round picks. And now this year, you've got two, 79 and 80, back to back again. Are they starters? Are they steals? Are they going to be hits? Or are they going to be whiffs? They got to be close to being starters or at least high up right. on the twos. They, they have to yeah. look the top four picks this year. They got four on the top 80. All four have got to be spot on and they got to be able to play at least 75% of the time this year. Agreed. Agreed 100%. If not, you're doing it wrong. You know, and really good teams, they do it right. And they're able to go ahead and, and get talented guys. Even if you look at it and say, that's a very talented dude and not necessarily in a position of need, but he's so talented, we'll get him, we'll draft him, 
and we'll find a way to get him on the field and we'll we'll make the competition even better. And now, hey, now I got 11 talented dudes on one side of the ball. I mean, that's that's what you do. You draft the most talented dudes and you make it you make it work, you know, and, and you look at him and say, this guy, yeah, he, he could be a difference maker on my team. That's why a lot of people say, don't go get Parsons or Jeremiah Usukoromoa. They're linebackers. Why would you get a linebacker? That's not your biggest need. Yeah, but they, they're difference makers. If they can be difference makers, especially Parsons, I think he's even an edge above uh, Awusu Koromoa. If you can go get Parsons and, and feel confident that he's going to be an asset on your in your locker room and on your team, you got to go make that move and, and, and just trust that he's going to be that difference maker you've been looking for for a very long time on the defensive side of the ball. Q Myers is with us. Cofield and Company is live today at the Nova Home Loan Studio on the way back. We're going to get into what Q was just saying about uh, teams that win. They make the right selections in the third, in the fourth round. They get contributors. The Chiefs are one of those teams, and that's why it allows the Chiefs to go out and get a new starting left tackle with their draft stock because they know they're going to get guys they need at cheap prices later in the draft. We'll address that and also some of the uh, quarterback stories. Believe it or not, the quarterback stories around the Raiders. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Cofield and Company is on the road at the Nova Home Loan Studio. Tuesday, Nova Home Loan Studios. Dustin DeHart's coming up in about an hour. Make sure you call these guys, 877-700-NOVA, to get that mortgage tuned up so q right before the break we were talking about the need to get it done in the third and fourth rounds and maybe even later you got to get cheap players cheap contributors sometimes cheap starters because what it allows you to do is what the chiefs have done which is load up with big name players with big contracts they get like seven or eight guys who are making more than 10 million dollars and then lo and behold at the end of the week last week they get a new starting left tackle. They're going to sign him for big money in the future in Orlando Brown, and that's because they consistently nail it. The rest of the division must be rolling over in their graves, and they're not dead, but it feels like sometimes they're dead, competing with the Chiefs. Raiders did a good job last year, but you get my point. That right. That has got to – like every fan in the AFC West must have thrown their hands up on Friday like, wait, how can they afford this guy too? Exactly right. That's what everyone was saying. Like, there's no way that they can afford them. They're going to kill their cap later on. But but you're right. I mean, they fill out their roster with guys that are third round picks, fourth round picks, fifth round picks. They get guys like that and, and that they can have plug and play because they fit with what they're doing. They see that they recognize the talent and they're able to go up. Even when they went and made the move for Patrick Mahomes, they were able to jump up from 24 to 10. Because they felt confident, we go get this guy, this difference maker at quarterback, and then boom, we have enough players around him that we're going to have a talented squad, even though we're going to miss out on a couple first-round picks. And we're going to miss out on some early picks. We know in the back end we're going to get it done. Teams like the Chiefs do a great job of that. Teams like the Baltimore Ravens, I really respect what the Baltimore Ravens do. They know, especially under Ozzie Newsome, man, they really knew what to do, when to grab guys. You talked about Orlando Brown. Third-round pick by the Baltimore Ravens out of Oklahoma. And the reason why he dropped to the third round, he didn't perform well at the Combine. You know what I mean? His short shuttle wasn't great. He didn't bench press enough. No, but you know what? You run a country mile if you're trying to get around that dude. I mean, you can't just go through him and buy him. That guy is a stud. He drops to the third round. He plays right tackle for Baltimore. And they say, you know what? He wants to play left tackle. We get that. Let's go ahead and, and trade him. We'll trade him to the Chiefs. I was kind of surprised that they trade him to the Chiefs because, well, they might have to end up playing him at some point. But either way, not, not neither here nor there. They still trade him to the Chiefs. They get their left tackle the future for plenty of years. They don't have to worry about making a pick in the first round. 
So what? They got a guy that's better than probably the first round pick. They were going to make it 31 anyway. And, and they protect Patrick Mahomes so they don't have a repeat performance of the Super Bowl where he's running around for his life. Let me read a tweet to you from last week. Uh, rap sheet. It seems like a yearly ritual, but once again, the Raiders did extensive work on all the top quarterbacks, I'm told. If one slides past 10, they could be a team to watch to grab a quarterback and stash for the future. Doubtful that a quarterback gets to number 17, but they will have their homework ready. Why is that out there? Like, I don't even want to get into the – well, I do want to get into the, the possibility that there's a quarterback at 17, but why is that even out there? That clearly – I can't say clearly, but I would think that's from someone within the organization because Rap Sheet has pretty close ties to someone because right. he's breaking news all the time. I don't understand the, the purpose of that getting out there. I mean, I guess it's just to kind of let it be known that that, uh, you know, they're they're looking and maybe trying to throw maybe a smoke screen for someone else. I, I couldn't tell you the real reason why it's out there. I just think that I mean, it's obviously it's an easy conversation piece for a, a lot across the, the country as far as, uh, you know, getting led up to the NFL uh, draft saying, hey, well, you know, the Raiders are in play for a quarterback and the Raiders aren't sold on car. And that's always the old. Q, is know, that is that the message? Is it, yet, is it mean, yet another is it yet another confusing message to Team Car? We know how sensitive Team Car is. Like that's the, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I guess you could just say, hey, they're just shooting the bull and just throwing right. it out there. But I like I think you have to consider that. Uh, we know right now this is a limbo situation with Car. I just I don't understand why it's out there. It could be out there for contract negotiation purposes as well. You know, I mean, they still haven't given him a contract extension. So that could be part of the reason that they're throwing that out there because they're looking at quarterbacks, which they look at quarterbacks every year. And, you know, I would actually fault them if they weren't looking at quarterbacks, you know. And, and, and hey, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, if they're sitting at 17 and maybe a Justin Fields drops to 10, 11, 12, which I don't think he will. But, I mean, just who knows? I didn't think CeeDee Lamb was going to drop to 12 or 17 last year either, and he did. So just, just say Justin Fields for some dumb reason were to drop there. I would, if I'm Mike Mayock and John Gruden, I'd look at each other and get on the phone and say, hey, we, we got to make a call, man, because this could be the dude. This could be our Patrick Mahomes because they, they they could look at Derek Carr and say he's our Alex Smith and maybe Justin Fields could be their Patrick Mahomes or maybe they feel like Trey Lance could be their Patrick Mahomes. I don't think either one of those guys are available, but I definitely do think it's a consideration, something that they should think about if if they like what they see out of those guys. The, uh, the Justin Fields thing is fascinating. Uh, I got him a couple of weeks ago and thought I had nailed it. Uh, at least in terms of some value, plus 225 for the number three pick. Then it comes out through sources that the Niners don't have any interest in him. Uh, then I was just talking about the PFF story about dream scenarios. Uh, they have the Broncos getting fields at nine would be a dream scenario. So at this point with Justin Fields, all bets are off. I have no idea what's going to happen. His over-under is seven and a half in the first round. I don't. I think there's got to be something for there to be this much, not negative buzz, but concern about Justin Fields. I think he's going to go number nine to Denver. I really do. Gut feeling tells me that the Man. Broncos won't let him pass. What you know a what, I mean? what a Q. What a break. Man, who are you telling? And what a division. Could you imagine that division? You got Mahomes, you got Justin Herbert, and you got Justin Fields, and and then you got Derek Carr. And I mean, and, and literally, you look at the Raiders, and you'd probably say, "Hey, man, if Justin Fields pans out, you probably got the worst quarterback in the division." And that's not being disrespectful or ugly. Just a, it's just the truth of the matter. <laughs> don't be ugly, Q. We we don't allow <laughs> ugly. Actually, we this this show is ugly personified. Uh, six quarterback in the draft because I think this would be the candidate if the Raiders are going to grab a QB. I don't think it's at seventeen, but maybe later in the draft. Who do you yeah. think could be the sixth guy uh, after the obvious choices? Could it be Davis Mills, Jamie Newman, Kyle Trask, or you know you're pretty close to uh, maybe not personally, but but in the state to Kellen Mond. 
Yep. Yeah, that's the one right there. I was waiting for you to roll that one out, man. Kellen Mond's the guy who's been getting all the attention and all the burn, and there's always one guy, right, that just flies up the board right at the last minute, the, the 11th hour. He always flies up the board, and it seems like Kellen Mond is that guy. Uh, he obviously played under Jimbo Fisher there at A&M uh, the last couple seasons, and uh, for everything that I understand in here, Jimbo really loved him. He's a student of the game. You know, all the good football cliches, that's apparently who he is. Uh, he continued to get better each and every year uh, there at, at A&M. And uh, I could totally see him being the guy. I never looked at him as a, a big time, I don't know, even franchise quarterback. But, I mean, if he has the tools to to make it into the NFL, I mean, you know, there was questions about Jalen Hurts. He went in the second round. I could see Kellen Mond being just as just as productive as a Jalen Hurts. And, and I know that Jalen's not proven yet that he's he's the, the guy there in Philadelphia. But I could see a team – uh, going ahead and drafting Kellen Mond and saying, you know what, we're going to let this guy sit behind our quarterback. We're going to let him develop and see what we got with him. If we got something great, if not, well, we got a really good backup or we flip him somewhere else. But uh, I, I could see a team taking a chance on Kellen Mond, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders don't go gra- grab a quarterback early that they look at him if he's still on the board later on. Q Myers is with us. Uh, off the beaten path, we know the Raiders are always trying to add to the roster, and you know sometimes it's a bigger-name player. Sometimes their projects, Darren Waller, Certainly worked out. Uh, it looks like they're trying to go the Tony Gonzalez, the Antonio <laughs> Gates route with a former Kentucky Mr. Basketball and Carson Williams. What do you know about this guy? Nothing, nothing <laughs> at all. I know that he's a basketball player that's going to play football for the first time, you know, and I I don't think that there's very high hopes on him. I don't think that the Raiders are going to get too much burn out of him. Uh, I think that they're just kind of turning over this stone and seeing what they got. But uh, it was it blew my mind when I started doing research on him. I said, OK, I get it. He's a basketball player. But what did he do so far as far as football? And it's like, no, I mean, it's a first time football player. And so Interesting. You know, we had that scenario uh, in Central Texas when when uh, Ish Wainwright and, and Rico uh, Rico Gathers, as a matter of fact, yeah, Rico yeah, Gathers man. played for the Baylor basketball team and then ended up getting a shot with the play with the Cowboys. And that didn't work out very well. And, you know, he never played football for the, the football team. But then we had Ish Wainwright turn around and play uh, one year under the football team at, at Baylor and then go and uh, try to make it in the league. And he wasn't able to either. So I kind of look at it as a Rico slash ish type situation. And neither one of those situations worked out at all. So I don't think that this is going to be any thing for the Raiders yeah the kid the Raiders signed is Carson Williams project tight end uh measurables pretty good you know 6'5 240 38 and a half inch vertical leap 473 in the 40 so roll the dice on them see what happens uh let's close on this close to home kind of a shocker I think I don't know what did, did were there troubles of brewing behind the scenes was there any issue between Baylor and Kim Mulkey I mean hell uh, a couple years ago you know she was so into Baylor she told people hey if you're worried about your daughter coming here uh, you deserve a punch in the face uh, she later apologized, but uh, sorry, apology not accepted. I think she's kind of kind of a creep at times. You're closer to her, so I know uh, you knew her well. Were you shocked? Is the market shocked? Is it pissed? What's the deal with Kim Mulkey, Baylor to LSU? Well, I'll tell you right now, on Monday I went into the radio station and uh, opened up the show saying phone lines are open, call, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was one of those shows. So, yeah, the market is devastated. I've had people emailing me and very angry and saying that there had to be something going on behind the scenes. And there was. Uh, I think Kim Mulkey was really uh, hurt and and upset. And she's sensitive and she's, you know, very emotional, as we all know, by some of the things she said to the media before. But uh, when Scott Drew won that championship, it was proclaimed to be the best coaching job ever done at Baylor. And that was said multiple times. And so that was one of the that was one of the minor issues that that she had going on. Uh, She didn't like that. She's hung three 
championships in the the Farrell Center. So what about me? What about me? What about the uh, the, the women's basketball team? She was paid greatly by Baylor. Uh, she walked on water around town. I mean, she was the queen until she wasn't the queen after after Scott Drew raised the banner. Uh, I think that Mac Rhodes looked at her paycheck, looked at her 14 or 15 assistants that she has on the roster, uh, looked at all the demands that she has each and every year. And she probably threw this in her face, in his face, like, hey, LSU wants me. LSU wants me. And I think Mac Rhodes said, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, then what do you want to do? You know, do, do you want to go home? And then it became a, oh, I'm going home thing. But it definitely was way more than a homecoming. And I think that maybe they called her bluff and they couldn't get in the room and come to an agreement. So they agreed to to, to part ways. I mean, I'll, I'll never believe that it was one of those, hey, Mac, I think uh, I might go home to LSU and him say, no, Kim, we want you. And then she leaves. I I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that it was a lot of back and forth. And I think Mac Rose just got tired and said, OK, well. Cool. Let's get our restructure. Let's structure this back, uh, scale it back to what it should be, where we're not losing as much money as we're losing every year on women's basketball. That doesn't make us a dime. It's great to put the championships in the Farrell Center, but you're not making us any money. What do they draw for the games? Uh, they, I mean, they have a lot of fans. Don't get me wrong. In a normal year, they average about 10,000 okay. fans a game. You know, and, and LSU averages about 2,000. And I heard her on the campaign trail yesterday. How many season tickets? How many people have put deposit downs on season tickets? I heard 600 already, you know. And so she's there to, you know, to be the mayor, to, to hug, hug and kiss babies and all that other good stuff and try to get as many people excited about women's basketball. But look, man, you're you're now a, a, a big fish in a, in a huge ocean. I mean, you got LSU football. You got LSU baseball. You have track and field. And you have women's basketball. So you're not going to be the, the queen of LSU like you were the queen of Bay. It's a different ball game, so we'll see how it shakes out. I wish her nothing but the best. I, I never had a problem with her, but uh, there was a lot of, of ego involved in this separation for sure. All right, Q, great spot. Good information there at the end. Uh, we'll actually talk to you later in the week, and we'll see what the Raiders did. And uh, I'm sure we'll love the pick. I'm sure we'll love it. Thanks, Q. I appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate you, man. Keep doing your thing. Our spot today with Q Myers is brought to you by our Drafting for Doe contest. Last couple of days to get in. It's our NFL Draft Contest brought to you by the DeHart Team Nova Home Loans. One winner will get $1,000 in cash and a $250 gift card from the Raiders Image Store. All you got to do is make the right picks, 1 through 17. Whoever gets the most picks correct, you get $1,000 in cash and that Raiders Image Store gift card. It's free to get in. LVSportsNetwork.com. LVSportsNetwork.com is where you enter. Open to Nevada residents 18 or older. Go to LVSportsNetwork.com. Entries have to be in by April 28th. And thanks to our friends at Nova Home Loans. Call for that mortgage tune-up, 877-700-NOVA. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. We're about 25 minutes away from uh, finishing up our path to the draft. We uh, did 32 on down to number one. Today is Jags Day as the Jaguars already on the clock. They've been on the clock as soon as the uh, Jags locked up the number one pick and the Jets pissed it away. <laughs> still bitter. Still bitter. Von Tobel, Cofield, Nova Home Loan Studio on a Tuesday. Uh, surprisingly, nothing going on in baseball. Usually there's an early start or two. First uh, game up is a 3-10 start, Minnesota at Cleveland shortly after that is Casey and Pittsburgh. But we're not here to read the schedule. Uh, we're here to go back to yesterday. And it was another one of those games where your guy, Shohei Otani, 
pulled double duty. What do you think? Oh yeah, I, I this is obviously very incredible to see what Shohei Otani is becoming. Like when he's fully healthy and ready to go. I wish the rest of the country was paying attention. I think this is this would be one of the prime examples of the West Coast not getting exposure. You've got a major league baseball player who was a worldwide star pitching and hitting in the same game. Right. Like if that were the Mets or the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Phillies. Oh, we wouldn't hear the end of it. It'd be national TV every every single time out. He listen, I don't know if he can do both long term. I'm still iffy on if he can pitch at a high level mm-hmm. and, and like really give you innings. But he is he's incredible. He really is. We've we've never I mean, I'm older. We've never really seen anyone like him in our lifetime. Right. And to be effective, especially as a hitter. So yesterday, um, he is absolutely incredible. He goes two for three at the plate, scores three runs, uh, drives in two. He is absolutely incredible. And, you know, the best part is he comes into yesterday league leader in home runs on top of being able to pitch. But what I find really fascinating about the dynamic with him on the plate, because he wasn't great yesterday. And so, like, when you're a manager and you're out there and you're watching your pitcher who is a very effective bat, give up four earned runs over five innings, and you're like, man, this isn't really going well. We also struck out nine and played it for himself. So it's like, what do you do if you're Madden half the time when he's struggling out there, but you need his bat in the lineup? Like, Not only is he playing at an extremely high level, which deserves a lot more credit, but what he forces Madden to do in terms of the gymnastics, keeping him in on, on poor days when he's pitching, all these things, it's just a really fascinating scenario going forward. But, I mean, if you look at it, and the, this was put up online last night, through 21 games, 1-0, 329 ERA, 23 strikeouts, 13 and two-thirds. Oh, by the way, batting 300, seven home runs, 18 RBI, three steals. Those are like stupid MVP numbers, mm-hmm. man. There's no way he's not winning this thing. If he if he keeps it up at this kind of a pace, which is very unlikely, and especially like if he can go sub 3.5 ERA, that was my benchmark for him, then he could totally do it. If he were to go out, I mean – most likely, how many starts? Maybe 25 starts, right? Stay healthy. Um, we're looking at, what, 125 innings. He strikes out like 150. I don't care about wins. I'm not sure that they should matter. But like 150 Ks, you know, the record in those 25 games is like, you know, 15 and 10. And he goes 30, 20 yeah. and hits 290. Then, yeah, he has to, like, no matter what Mike Trout does, I would think that would be recognized that he's one of their top three pitchers. He's helping them win games. But he's also an elite hitter. But I, I still believe, John, and he, of course he should be in the MVP race, but I still believe that if he wasn't pitching and he was playing every day, I made you the offer. I think it was like two weeks ago. I said over under Shohei Otani home runs just to have fun with it, and I would go under. I think I said 26 and a half. Yeah. He's going to go over. Yep. If he doesn't get hurt. Well, that, and the, and, that, and that's, that's the problem with that bet, though, is because how is he going to get hurt? Pitching. Oh, oh, of course, he's going to be pitching, and like that's I've I've been adamant since day one. It, like he doesn't need to pitch; he could win MVP with just his bat, the way that he plays, and he's athletic enough. Like the, I don't think if you if you asked anybody how many steals does Shohei Otani have right now, they would not say three. I would no, no, I would have no clue that he could steal fifteen or twenty in a full season, right? Um, and you know, you're you got a man crush. You were sending out pictures of him all oh. you know muscled up with his giant shoulders and his guns and everything. Those delts. He's a big guy. Um, he's he actually is more than I expected, but I still think he's very underexposed. And it's this is another prime example of baseball yep. and its failings in terms of marketing. He should be everywhere. That he really it's should. massive. You've got the crossover audience of another, 
you know, culture, cultures, all of, you know, most of, much of Southeast Asia loves baseball too. And we've got a pitcher and a hitter. And this is not, you know, a guy who could pitch every, you know, whatever, five games a year. He's a starting pitcher. He could be a freaking closer if you wanted to make a closer. And I really believe he's a 40 homer guy. He's incredible. Um, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice if some older baseball players started tooting his horn. Right. And said, hey, baseball is more than healthy. Look, this one team may have the two most naturally talented angels. Two most naturally talented players, baseball players in the world. But we know I'm asking a lot if we're going to have some older players step up and uh, help out the players of today. Because they're always worried about back in my day. So and so could do this. Why didn't he? And I'm not getting into Babe Ruth and, you know. Obviously, Babe Ruth is one of the all-time great players, not only because of the numbers he put up, but because he probably could have been, you know, a pitcher who won 250, 300 games and then hit over 700 home runs. Yep. But, oh, I mean, Otani, uh, I'm not going to do this. So Otani back in the 20s and 30s. But he'd be the greatest baseball player alive. <laughs> it'd be ridiculous. <laughs> it'd be insane. I love him. Now, that said, I don't know that he would have been allowed to play. No, that's a good point. Yeah, but I still love him. It was him. a little exclusive. He's awesome, dude. Why does this happen in lots of sports? I see some guys step up. Mm-hmm. I see some guys step up. Uh, Kevin Garnett did it about two months ago, where Garnett's like, the talent across the board on the floor now, like, I didn't play that long ago. The talent now is unreal. Yep. The skill level is unreal. And we got another story coming across today. Because last week, I went off. I, I love Dr. J. He's one of my idols. Probably, like, one of two or three, four people in my entire life, going back to, as a kid, being awestruck by, being around him. Right, I forget we. I, I won't even get into it. Just I saw him up close, probably when I was like fourteen. I'm like, oh my god, it's Dr. J. Love Dr. J. Great guy. So a couple weeks ago, he was complaining that the Nets are buying a title. I'm like, they're buying it with everyone else's trash. Not to be mean, right? But who was saying that Blake Griffin and now Lamarcus Aldridge has retired since? These guys are picking up Nets buying a title. Like the Yankees did. And you know that's going to get me going. I love the Nets. I love the Yankees. Come on, Dr. J. Stop. Doc, the Sixers were really good in the early 80s. They were like, you know, we need some rebounding. Let's go get the greatest rebounder in the world in Mar- and Moses Malone. Oh, he they wasn't, got, they, he wasn't they, drafted and developed? They, 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 they went and got a 27-15 guy because they needed him, you know, buying a title. It's happened throughout the history of the NBA where great players come together. And I know, it, you know, people don't realize historically that's what's happened. You know, guys are chasing rings. They, they've always done that. Organizations always did that. You try to put together the best collection, at least at the top of your team, with three guys. So please tell me Dr. J is not. What is he doing now? He's back, baby. He's oh, back. no. What do, we, what do we got? He was asked to put together his top two all-time NBA teams. So 10 players, two teams. His top two all-time NBA player teams. LeBron James, not included. Not included. Quote, he's the guy who has led the charge in terms of super teams. Oh, so he doesn't get credit? So what you said about Moses Malone, ridiculous. Not on your team prior to. Acquired so you could win a title. So your own ring is tainted by your own standards. I retweeted the, um, the post with a picture of the 2007 Boston Celtics, who were one of the original super teams, let's stop. There was lots of there was lots of pictures. Was it the uh, 
in the Lakers with Carl Malone back in the day, right? Trying to chase one of those rings near the end of his career. Let's stop with the bashing of LeBron. Super teams have been a thing. And by the way, like you said in basketball, right? Super teams. In sports, it's a thing. You're supposed to get better. If you can't win a title, what do you do? You go acquire the pieces that are necessary to push you past the point of where you were prior. By that standard, the Bucks are a super team that just won a title this past year. Like every team does it in every single sport. But to not include LeBron, look, it's a dumb debate. It's a dumb sports talk debate that we can talk about, but it's just the blinders that you put on to set the standards for yourself that you can surpass, but others can't. Oh, no, no, no. I can't do this with LeBron. It's ridiculous. The sliding scale, the moving goalposts, it's so dumb. Well, forgetting history, too. Forgetting history that you were involved in. History, I was going to say. It's his team. It's his ring. Yeah. 1982, Moses Malone, the MVP, traded. They got the MVP. That's awesome. They traded him for Caldwell Jones, who was a decent shot blocker, you know, like 4.3 rebounds a game, and Rodney McCray. Well, Moses Malone was only they won the They won the title the next year. He was only a 10-10 and 10 guy when they won the title, right? <laughs> it's amazing. All right, 3 o'clock hour is on the way. We're going to get to that uh, Jaguar spot. We'll find out what the uh, Jaguars are looking at at number one. Apparently, uh, Urban Myers recently, they're honing in on the pick. They're deciding between three different quarterbacks. Cofield got his mortgage tuned up. You should, too. Call 877-700-NOVA now to lower your interest rate and lower your payments.